still in Hebrews. We've gotten through that one verse. We spent seven or eight weeks in verse 32, which uh, is a good reminder of how much there is in every verse. You getting that? That we can dig in there. We looked at Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, David, the prophet Samuel, and then we looked at all the prophets. These are those who made it into the Hall of Fame of Faith here in Hebrews 11. We're going to move on and finish up chapter 11 tonight by God's grace. I'm going to read verse 33 through uh, right to the end of the chapter, verse 40. And we're going to cover those verses. Uh, There's a three-part conclusion here in chapter 11 as God ties all the loose ends together and the Hall of Fame of Faith uh, is concluded Move on to chapter 12, God willing, if we're still here in the creek, don't rise. But let's thank God for the word, and uh, then I'm going to read you 32 through 40. Father, I thank you for the word of God. What a treasure you have given us. You've not left us confused and lost and disconnected, disenfranchised. You've given us a blueprint for living. Father, I thank you for all the time we've spent in Hebrews and what you've revealed to us as we Just ring out these verses and allow the Holy Spirit to pour them into our hearts. Father, tonight, let our minds be alert, our hearts be open, and our spirits be receptive to what you give us tonight. Lord, I just pray that none of us would leave here the way we came, but we leave changed by your word. I ask that in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. So 32 through 40. Well, actually, I won't read 32 because we've done that for eight weeks. So let's get a break from that. Verse 33 who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, but became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release so they might obtain a better resurrection, And others experienced mocking and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, and they were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went out about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. There's a lot in there to unpack. We're going to jump right in here. We've spent a long time in the Hall of Fame of Faith. We've relished every morsel of it, and we've wrung out as much truth as the Holy Spirit would allow us to see. Verses uh, 33 through 40, they, they are a summary and a conclusion From God's perspective, what I just read to you is a summary and a conclusion of the Hall of Fame of Faith from God's perspective. And, you know, it talks about, you know, where what their faith produced. Realize when you exercise faith, when I exercise faith, it produces something. This is not just, you know, God making us jump through hoops for no apparent reason. When he asks us to do something, there's a reason. And when we're obedient to it, there's a blessing attached to it. And when we're obedient and we, and we walk out what he's asked us to do, there's fruit that's produced, amen? And so 
these verses here at the conclusion of chapter 11 are going to show what their faith produced. Also, you know, what their faith accomplished for the kingdom of God. That's all of us are not working for our own kingdom, our own agenda, our own accolades, our own accomplishments. Come on, right? We are workers in the kingdom of God. Either we're on God's team doing God's work by God's power and God's way, or we're out there like the Lone Ranger just making a big mess of stuff. Independence within the body of Christ is a dangerous thing. We need interdependence. God didn't give any of us all of the gifts. We need each other. We are a body. Someone say amen. So it's what they accomplished by their faith, by their obedience, but what they accomplished for the kingdom of God. And then... In the conclusion, God shows how he feels about their sacrifice and service. That's a good thing for us to understand how God feels about us when we lay our lives down for the kingdom, amen? We don't serve a taskmaster today. We don't serve Pharaoh. God doesn't ask us to make bricks without straw. Come on, we serve a gracious, loving, holy God who, who does what's best for us and allows us to experience his goodness in every area of our lives. So the text here provides the bottom line for the Hall of Fame of Faith. Now, the first thing I want to say is we're going to look at verses 33 through 35, and that keeping the faith will produce exciting results. Listen, Christianity is supposed to be exciting. The world tries to revel in its sin and its debauchery and its recklessness and goes, oh, you know, this is so exciting. You know, maybe when you were a young person or you were in high school and people would say, oh, you know, we went to this party and we did X, Y, and Z. Come on, every Monday, right, you heard all the exploits of, I don't even want to talk about them. But, you know, and they would brag, you know, and I, I, I was at some parties and I heard them say how great it was. And I was like, wait, I was there. It wasn't really that good. So they try and, you know, make a big deal of, oh, it's so exciting, and you missed out. Well, you missed out. Oh, you, you missed out. The world wants the church to think it's missing out. But the truth is the world has nothing to offer. It's all smoke and mirrors. It's emptiness. It doesn't satisfy. But serving the Lord and keeping our faith does satisfy. It's exciting, and it produces exciting results. Amen? Look what it says in 33. Who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, attained the promises, shut the mouths of lions. Does that sound exciting to anybody? That's not your normal Friday night. Quench the power of fire, escape the edge of the sword. From weakness were made strong and to be mighty in war, put to flight foreign armies, women who received back their dead by resurrection. If your walk with the Lord is boring, it ain't him. Amen? Well, I'm just serving Jesus, and I'm just trying to make it to heaven someday. Sucking lemons all the way. It's supposed to be exciting. You know what? If it's not exciting, we're not doing something right. And the first thing I want you to know is our spiritual journey is not supposed to be boring. If we're bored, if we're not excited, if we're just going through the motions then we need to check the level of faith that we're bringing to the table because the God that we serve is an exciting God and he wants us to do exploits. Now, you, you might not shut the mouth of lions. You might not, you know, conquer foreign armies, but you might pray and see people get saved in your family. You might witness to someone and watch them get born again right before your eyes, amen? 
you might allow God to use your gifts and snatch somebody out of the fire and translate them in, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And that's exciting. The reason we get bored is because we stop doing those things. And then we just go through the motions. And you know what? Any routine done over and over again is boring. We're not here just to mark time. We're not here just to be born, to live, and to die. We're here to do some specific things for the kingdom of God. And when we do what God has made us to do, look, you were made for a purpose. You're not an accident today. You're an on purpose. Man, I wish somebody would smile out there. Look like statues. Let me, maybe, I, maybe I'll get closer here. You're not an accident. You're not just, you know, well, God has a purpose for everybody, but me, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm just, you know, like, uh, I, I don't know. He's got nothing for me. Boy, is that a lie of the devil. You were born for a specific purpose, for a specific reason. You've been given specific gifts to accomplish specific things. You see, it's when we give ourselves to the wrong things and the things of the world that we chase the, you know, the wind or our tail and we waste our time and our energy doing everything but what God called us to do. That's when life becomes boring. But when we use our gifts and we accomplish our purpose and we see fruit produced, it's exciting. So we're here on purpose to do a specific thing. You say, well, what's, what's my thing? You, you got to seek him for that, Amen. And I'll tell you the way, you know, you find out what your thing is, is you get lost in him. And before you know it, you're doing your thing and he's blessing your thing and your thing is producing fruit. Amen. So there's two ways to keep the excitement in our spiritual walk. Look at all that they did here. Performed act of righteousness, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. I mean, it sounds like a Raiders of the Lost Ark movie. You know, and I know in some ways we think, well, you know, these the Old Testament saints, they're, you know, what they went through, and it's awesome. But now it's just, you know, these modern times, it's not exciting anymore. That, that's a lie. Because, you know what, we're here for a purpose and for such a time as this. And there's two ways to keep the excitement in our spiritual walk. Number one is this, stay close to Jesus. If, if Jesus seems lackluster, it's because we're not close enough to him. The closer we get to him, the more incredible, the more beautiful, the more wonderful, the more exciting he is. John 10.10 says, the thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and destroy. I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. You see, where's the abundant life? It's in Jesus. The closer we get to him, the more exciting and abundant and, and purposeful our lives become. Amen? If we're too far away from him, then we're being distracted and, and seduced by things that will take us further away from him, amen? The only safe place to be is right up, right up next to Jesus, amen? John used to lay on his breast. John, I like John. He writes his gospel. He says, the disciple that Jesus loved, and John's writing the book. So, you know, he knew Jesus loved him. He had, he had access to him in special ways, but... You know, he was close to Jesus. Think about that. Laying on Jesus' breath, you could feel him. You're laying on his breast, you could feel him breathe. You could feel his heartbeat. Intimacy, closeness, affection, brotherly love, phileo love, agape love, because he's God. You say, well, man, John was lucky. I wish I could. Listen, we have that same access to him by the Spirit of God, Amen. Christ in me, the hope of glory. You and I are filled with the Holy Ghost. Oh, praise God, Wednesday, we're going to get the jumper cables out and get you moving. 
Stay close to Jesus. Stay connected to the abundant life. The Bible tells us he came to give us that abundant life. Don't let the enemy steal it away from you. Listen, lukewarm, distracted, half-hearted religion is boring. Rules and regulations are boring. Theology, dogma, and all that stuff, without the spirit, without the, the, the joy of the Lord, without relationship is boring. I mean, I love theology, but, you know, it didn't mean anything to me until I became born again and got filled with the Holy Ghost. Before, it was just rules and heady stuff, and, you know, and I might have had an affinity for it, but didn't have a love for it until, you know, I got close to Jesus. So if you want excitement in your spiritual walk, if you're bored and you don't know why, get close to Jesus and stay close to Jesus. He has abundant life for you tonight. Number two, the second way to keep excitement in our spiritual walk is this. Yep, I'm going to tell you, you need to read your Bible every day. You need to read your Bible every day. We need to read this every day. Because without it, we're starving spiritually. You know, if you missed, a, if you got to the end of the day and you thought, well, I didn't eat all day. You would be as shocked as I would be. You know, because our flesh is always screaming, feed me, feed me, feed me. And we hear it and we feel it. But you know, we don't feel our spirit screaming, feed me, feed me, feed me. Ah, we need this. We need a lot more of this. You know what the truth is? We need this more than food. Jesus said, I have food to eat that you know not of. I came to do the will of the Father. It's the same for us, amen. We need that spiritual food every day. We've got to stay well-nourished and well-fed. Some of us, if we, if we looked at the way we looked in the spiritual realm, we'd look like people coming out of prison camps in World War II. Did you see them there, skinny and bony? You could see all their ribs. Their, their elbows looked like knots in a rope. Why? Because they were starved. Unfortunately, a lot of people who call themselves Christians don't get enough of the word to stay healthy and spiritually, they're starving. So stay full of the word, amen? The good ground in our hearts uh, that allows us to be saved initially, you know, to get saved, we had to receive the word and had to find some good ground in our hearts. And by the grace of God, we were saved. We, we've got to you realize that good ground in our hearts that allowed us to connect with Jesus needs to be maintained. Amen. Every farmer who cultivates the soil knows that you've got to maintain the soil. You can't just use it year after year after year like magic and expect it to produce good crops. Every farmer knows that, you know, you've got to disc it. You've got to break up the soil. You've got to spray it and fertilize it. You need to add lime. You, you need to let the land rest sometimes. You know, I, I, I'm on a lot of farms when I'm out in the woods, and, and I, I'm blessed to be able to hunt on some farms, and I see every year they're rotating crops. Why? Because some crops take nitrogen out of the soil, and some crops put it in. If you plant corn in the same field over and over and over again, you're going to destroy that soil, and it's not going to produce. What I want you to know is the soil of our heart is the same way. We have to cultivate it. We have to take care of it. We have to rest it sometimes. Tom, just to get before the Lord and be still and know that he's God. Some days just to sit in his presence. Oh, I got to read 17 chapters and I got to do this and I got to do that and I got to pray for two hours. Sometimes just sit down and be quiet and let him speak. This will keep our spiritual walk exciting. 
if we feast on the word, if we fill ourselves with the word, if we cultivate the soil of our heart, if we don't cultivate the soil of our heart and we don't maintain the the influx of good seed from the word of God, then we shouldn't be shocked about the weeds in our life. And we shouldn't be shocked about the poor harvests that we reap. And we shouldn't be shocked about the bad fruit that we produce. Oh, come on, that's good preaching, even on a Wednesday night, amen? Think about it. Bad fruit, poor harvests, you know, uh, you know, I'm not producing anything. There's weeds popping up everywhere. What's the deal here? Break up that fallow ground, right? Cultivate that heart. Allow the Lord just to, to, to keep it tender, keep it pure, keep it fertile, and then put good seed in it every day, every day, and it will produce. Those are the two ways to keep your spiritual walk exciting. Stay close to Jesus and stay in God's word. Number two, the second thing we learn from the conclusion here uh, in the Hall of Fame of Faith is this, that we've got to keep, that keeping the faith means enduring persecution. Now, none of us like to talk about persecution. And you know what? To be honest, I don't like to preach about persecution because every time I do, half of you clam up and pass out. And the other half look like, no, I don't, I'm not doing that. That's for you, Pastor. You, you, you endure persecution. I'm going to the diner after this. But enduring persecution is part of it for all of us. To what degree we'll endure it, that's up to God. All of the apostles were martyred horribly except for John, who was boiled in oil and it didn't kill him, and they exiled him to Patmos, and then he got the book of Revelation revealed to him. John was the only one that wasn't outright murdered. All the rest of them, I mean, and if, if I describe the ways, I mean, beheaded and killed with the sword. I, I believe Thomas was either shot with arrows, pierced through with spears. I mean, it, it wasn't pretty, none of it. And you say, God, why would you allow, you know, these 11 guys that, you know, walked with you and, and served you, why would you allow them to go through that? And you see, we've got to look at persecution as not a stigma or an insult, but an honor. It's an honor for us to suffer with him. Remember when they, they flogged uh, Peter to, and, and, and I think it was John and he came back and they, 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 they counted it an honor to suffer for his name, amen? Now I know maybe some of us are not there right now, but persecution is part of our Christian walk. Look what it says here in verse, the other half of verse 35 and through 37, it says this, and they were tortured. Oh, that's where I'm tapping out right there. Tortured. They were tortured. Listen, listen to this. Not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. So they could have wiggled out of it, but they refused to. Wow. That's faith. Others experienced mocking, flogging, further chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. Listen to this. They were sawn in two. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine two of me? They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute. Think about that. No clothes to wear. You know, a, a public laughing stock, afflicted, tormented. All of these things, these people who made it into the Hall of Fame of Faith, many of them experienced such things. The people in the Old Testament, people in the New Testament, people right now experiencing persecution because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, the world around us, I think we can all agree, is getting darker and more wicked by the day. I mean, if you can't see that we are in the end times and that 
the church could be raptured and taken up at any moment. I, I think, you know, you're totally missing it. We need to live ready and be watching for the coming of Jesus Christ. If that's the furthest thing from your mind, you need to get alone with the Lord and just allow him to refocus you a little bit, amen, because it's unraveling quickly. And those of us who are paying attention are seeing the pieces of the puzzle fall into place from an eschatological, uh, eschatological perspective. You know, everything is in place. So the, the next event to come should be the catching away of the church. Yet there's persecution that comes to the church, and we're seeing things get hotter and darker. Now, we as believers, we've known for decades, you know, that our brothers and sisters in China and the Middle East and in Northern Africa and in other places, that they're being jailed and persecuted and martyred and, and imprisoned for their faith. We know all this, right? Is, did that come as a shock to anyone? No, we're just, we just get used to it. Well, they lock you up in China. You know, they behead you in the Middle East. They, you know, they come to your village with machetes in Northern Africa, and they get rid of all the Christians. And, you know, this stuff happens. And if you don't know it's happening, then, you know, there again, we need to open our eyes and refocus a little bit. We're in this little Western bubble of protection here, you know, under a blessed nation with an incredible constitution. But you know what? It's all unraveling pretty quickly. Are we ready to face persecution? We've seen persecution from a distance, but now it seems to be getting a little bit closer. The Western culture that we've enjoyed, it, it, it has tolerated the Christian values that we hold dear. But now that tolerance is turning into open hostility, even here in the West. And we start to feel it because they used to, you know, they used to say the things that the church stood for, all of our culture embraced. But, you know, we've thrown prayer out of school and we've, we've not raised our children in church and, and our churches have been, become devoid of the move of God. And all of a sudden we have a generation that's ungodly and unchurched and really, you know, we're, we're educated intellectual heathens. That's why we'll murder and loot and steal and burn in the streets. Why? Because there's no remnant of God in the hearts of our nation. And it's, as the church, we're looking at this and going, what in the world is going on? And, you know, in some way, we have to realize that persecution is coming. You know, just recently, if you've been paying attention to anything in the news, there was a, a pastor arrested in Canada. They took him down with a fully armed SWAT team in the middle of traffic, drug him out of his car, and took him away. You know what the charge was? Organizing a, a church meeting because of COVID. That's, uh, that's the West here. That's right across our border. You know, in, in, in places in our country here, still in California, there, there's governors there. The governor there is still trying to persecute and hinder and keep the church shut down. Even though the Supreme Court said that they can't do it, they're not doing it. You know, they're doing it by executive orders and mandates. And listen to me, understand something. It's not law. It's a suggestion, yet they're enforcing their suggestion with armed people, and they're coming with guns to take you away and put you in a cage if you don't obey their mandate. Now, I don't know if you care about this or it doesn't feel like it touches you or not, but it's coming, and it's going to touch us. And we've got to decide how are we going to face persecution? What are we going to do? We're going to fold up like a cheap camera. We're just going to go along with the flow. We're going to let them say and do whatever. Or are we going to stand up for truth and justice and for Jesus Christ and for righteousness? Amen? 
Well, when we make that stand, persecution is going to take its effect. It's a slippery slope to see our government ignore the Constitution and rule by executive fiat when people can just make an order because it's an order of emergency. So now the Constitution is gone. You've got no rights. A little scary over here. And this is not political. I'm not being political. I'm just telling you what's going on around us. That So when it touches us, you, you can't say, Pastor, you never, I'm warning you now. In Europe and Canada, it's illegal to say anything from the Bible that would offend Muslims or homosexuals or atheists. In fact, I watched online street preachers being arrested for reading out of the Bible and, and cops with guns grabbing them up saying, that's hate speech, let's go. This is hate speech. <laughs> it's a dark world. It's getting darker. That persecution starting to break through the bubble here. It's starting to touch us. Jesus is preparing his church. He's going to come back for a bride without spot or wrinkle. And throughout history, persecution has always purified the church. So we need it. We need it. In our loose, fast, comfortable sensual living the church needs to be purified persecution will do it and it's coming listen to that list they were tortured flogged imprisoned mocked sawed in half stoned afflicted tormented destitute none of that sounds like any fun to my flesh how about you no in fact you're thinking please move on i heard there was three points this is two let's get this one done what does the scripture say about us facing persecution? I'm going to give you four scriptures and I'll be finished. 2 Timothy 3.12. Indeed, all those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Did you hear that? You didn't need Greek or Hebrew to figure that one out. All those what who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, 2 Timothy 3.12, will be persecuted. John 15.18. 18, Jesus saying, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. Jesus said this to his disciples. Look, the world's going to hate you, but it hated me first. You know, in this world, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Jesus saying, don't be surprised that the closer you get to me. Remember I said, how do you keep the excitement in your spiritual walk? Stay close to Jesus. The closer you get to Jesus, the more of a target you put on yourself for the world, for the devil, for the enemy. Why? Because you're close to Jesus. When they took Jesus away, what did the disciples do? They scattered. They, nobody wanted to be close to him. Peter, you know, followed, you know, a little bit. You know, John and Mary, they, they were close. But, you know, the further they were away from him at that moment, the safer they were. Are you getting this? If we're going to get close to Jesus. We're going to attract persecution. He said, the world hated me. It's going to hate you too. Matthew 5.10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So if we're persecuted for our own, you know, lack of discipline or law-breaking or selfishness or folly, there's no reward to that. But if we're persecuted because we love Jesus and we want to live the word and we won't compromise, there's a, there's a, a blessing attached to that. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 14. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit 
of glory and of God rests upon you. So you and I need enough Jesus in us that we, we attract persecution. It's so quiet. You see, the more... <laughs> People who don't attract persecution, who don't attract the ire of the enemy, they better, do a, they better do a check of their spiritual potency. Examine themselves to see if I'm really in the faith. If you're out there going, man, the devil never bothers me. We better get together and pray at the altar after service, amen? Because you, you and I know the closer we get to him, the more we try to seek him, the more we run after him, the more oppression and distraction and resistance comes to our lives. So persecution is part of keeping the faith. These people in the Hall of Fame were persecuted. They tasted it, but they also tasted of the glory of God when he took them home for eternity, amen? I'd rather suffer now and, and pay now and enjoy eternity than to have a party now and suffer for eternity, amen? So the third thing I want to say about keeping the faith is this. If we've kept the faith or not, we'll be God's judgment alone. You say, Pastor, who's going to decide whether I kept the faith or not? The Lord is. You know, it's not going to be, you know, I got a letter from my pastor. He said I was good. It's not going to be my mom says, I'm, you know, I was, I was a good boy, spiritually solid. No, Jesus is going to judge our works. And he's going to determine or not whether we kept the faith whether we walked out our calling, whether we accomplished the mission. Now, I know we hear this over and over in evangel evangelical circles to the point where it almost becomes rhetorical, but it's, it's true and it's got to be said. In the final analysis, only God's opinion of us matters. You know, people say, well, nobody can judge me because, you know, only God can judge me. You hear, you hear the most wicked of sinners say that? You know, they're into, I mean, they break all the commandments in like two hours. And they're like, well, no one can judge me. Only God can judge me. Well, not so true. Because you know what? The word of God judges us when we do things like that. The word of God judges stealing and lying and adultery. The, the word of God judges that, amen? If, if I go to someone who's in adultery and, and is unrepentant of it and say, you need to stop committing adultery, they can't say to me, you're judging me. No, I'm not judging you. This is judging you, amen? And by the authority that Christ has given the church and the earth, we need to hold up the standard. But what do they say? Oh, don't you judge me. Listen, we have got to hold up the standard so you know that, that you've got one foot in hell and the other foot on a banana peel, okay? If we say nothing to them, well, I don't want to offend them. That's not loving. It's not loving to let people just fall into, you know, eternity without Christ and say nothing because we didn't want to offend them. So we've got to tell the truth in love. But you know, in the final analysis, yeah, even if everybody thinks we're great, if we don't keep the faith and, and run the race and finish the course and do what God made us to do, we're going to have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We're going to have to stand there and our works are going to be tested in the fire. And some of us are going to, you know, we're going to get smoked. say, well, what happens if, you know, your works are solid? Well, you get a crown that you get to throw at Jesus' feet as a thank you. Man, I don't want to come before Jesus throwing smoke. I want to have something to throw at his feet, amen? So I, I want to please him, and I want to hear him 
say, well done, good and faithful servant. And I know you do too. But whether or not we've kept the faith is going to be Jesus' judgment. It says in verse 38, people of whom the world was not worthy. This one this one has just sat on my heart all the time I've been studying this. People of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and in mountains and sheltering in caves and in holes in the ground. Yes, God is going to be our judge in the final analysis. He's going to determine whether or not we kept the faith. So what does God think about those who kept the faith? Well, first of all, he thinks that the world is unworthy of them. This is an interesting thing for us to absorb here tonight. I think it's a blessing once we understand it. You know, for the world to not be worthy of us means that we're more in Christ than we're in the world, that we're in the world, but we're not of it, amen? And so, you know, was the world worthy of Jesus when he was here? Absolutely not. Leaves the the pristine, uh, perfect, you know, situation in heaven on the throne with the Father and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. He, He leaves that and he comes to this mess, the muck and the mire and the filthiness of this world, he comes. And was the world worthy of him? Absolutely not. And Jesus says, of those who keep the faith, my judgment of them is that, number one, the world is not worthy of them. It's an amazing thought to think that we could be so in step with Jesus and so out of step with the world that the world is not worthy of us. Now, I want you to be careful, you know, getting puffed up in pride about, yeah, this world is not worthy of me. You know, that, that's dangerous, but we want to live in such a way that Jesus could say that about us. Now, for the righteous in this world, in its sinful state, uh, the world is unworthy of the righteous. Now, I want to say some things. Have you ever worked a job that was, now don't answer. These are rhetorical, but I'm, I'm going to kind of answer them. Have you ever worked a job that was unworthy of you? A lot of you have. I know as a young man, I worked with some people that, you know, were abusive in construction. Ray, I got hammers thrown at me, and I got cold words that I had to go look up afterward. I, I didn't know. But, you know, as a young man going through some things, I, I've been in situations, I've been in jobs where when I got out the other side, the Lord showed me, you know, you, you were just a light there for a little while, but, you know, that's not your final destination. Some of you have worked at places that were unworthy of you. The only reason you were there was to be light. And you know what God showed me too? There were some places that I worked that they only were blessed and made money and got jobs because God was blessing me there. You're one of the king's kids. Some of you have served people that were unworthy of you. Maybe bosses, maybe mentors, maybe family members. You, you served them and you... And you, you You honored them, and you did what was required of you, but they were unworthy of you. Why? Because they used you, or they didn't affirm you, or they never treated you correctly. Come on. And God sees all that. He sees the places where you've worked, and it was unworthy. He's seen the people that you've served, and, you know, they were unworthy. And all of this is adding up in our lives, that if we're willing to do it with the right heart, you know, maybe you've clashed with unworthy leadership. Maybe you've clashed with people in authority that, you know, were unrighteous. And God sees all of that. Are you feeling this tonight? Because... We got to talk about this, and I'll tell you why. Because it's like David. He said, I seen the wicked prosper, and my foot almost slipped. 
What do you, what do you mean by that? He, he, he mean, I'm doing the right thing, and I got, I'm having a hard time in every front. These guys are breaking all the rules, and they're getting fat, dumb, and happy, and I'm sick of looking at it. You see, the reason we got to talk about this, the fact that some of the things we go through and some of the people we deal with and some of the situations we're in, uh, you know, uh, they're unworthy of us is so we don't get angry while we're going through it, but that we realize it's part of God's refining process. And in the end, there's a payoff for it if we keep the faith and we don't get bitter and we don't get angry, but we trust God. Look at Joseph. All of what Joseph went through, everyone in Egypt that he was under, Potiphar's house, the prison, all of that stuff, unworthy of him, unworthy of him, unworthy of him. But he never got angry. He never got bitter. He went from the pit to the prison to the palace, and he kept the faith. And God honored him in a way that nobody else could. This world is unworthy of them. Number two, what does God think about those who keep the faith? Those who keep the faith have God's approval. We said only God can judge us in the final analysis. That's true. But having God's approval means everything in life. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, look at that. How do they gain approval? Not by their works, not by their diligence, not by their suffering, but by their faith. All of these, who are all of these? All of these mentioned in the Hall of Fame of Faith. They all gain God's approval through their faith. Now, the world thinks those who sacrifice and discipline themselves and abstain from the pleasures and the treasures of this world, you know what the world thinks about those people? They're stupid. Come on, Wednesday night, don't faint on me. But, oh, man, you don't do this and you don't do that and you don't, you don't, you don't just you know, satisfy your itches and do what feels good and you, know, you just don't do what you want. You're a fool. What are, you, you know, what are you doing that for an imaginary God that you can't see? You know how many times I've heard people say that to me? Growing up, coming up, come on, do this, come on, do that. Sleep with this one, run around with this one. Let's go get high, let's go. And no, you don't do that? What are you, what's the matter with you? I remember one boss said to me something. He, he said, you know, some, all the crew was getting high doing drugs. And I'm like, I don't do that. You know, and, and I was always happy all the time. And he looked at me, you don't do drugs, Leonardo? I'm like, no. He goes, maybe you should start. You're weird. But the world thinks we're foolish for abstaining from such things. But I'd rather be a fool in the eyes of man than a fool in the eyes of God. You and I are out of step with the world, but God affirms us, amen? It's God's approval that we should long for. The world thinks we're foolish, you know, but God says, no, you've got my approval. You, you've got my blessing. You, you've got my, you know, I look at you and I think, you know, God looks at the righteous and those who abstain and those who refuse to bow the knee to Baal, and he says, oh, those are my people. Those are the ones that love me. He delights in us. All of us who want Jesus and want to please Jesus should learn to be comfortable with looking like fools in the eyes of man. Oh, I don't want to look foolish, Pastor. Well, I'm sorry, that's part of it. There are some people that are just going to look at you and think you're, you're out of your mind. But in eternity, everybody's going to know the score and the righteous are going to shine forever. Amen? So those who keep the faith have God's approval. Those 
you know, who keep the faith, this world is not worthy of them. And, and number three, those who keep the faith, uh, they didn't see the payoff in this life, but they receive it in the next life. You know, look what the text says, but they did not receive what was promised. And we, we talked about this. You know, why did people like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the patriarchs, you know, they didn't see the full promise of what God had promised them. You know, Abraham was promised that his descendants would be so numerous and all this stuff, you know, and he had so much problems, him and his wife just having one child and they had an Ishmael along the way, so many problems. So he didn't see the fulfillment of what God was gonna bring through him. You know, Jacob down the line has these 12 sons that make 12 tribes, and then now Israel is a nation with descendants that are more numerous than the sands of the sea. But Abraham never saw it in this life. And you, you say, why in the world do we not see that? Why would God promise us stuff that we're never gonna see? And I'll tell you why. Because what God's doing in our lives is bigger than us. What God's doing with your life is bigger than you. That means it's going to outlive you. It's got to. Look, if all that's done with me is, is what I'm going to see in my lifetime, I haven't even made a ripple in the pond. That's not God. That's me. But when God uses me and God uses you and God accomplishes his will in us, the, the ripples go on throughout the generations and we make an impact that outlives us. What God's doing with the righteous and in the righteous is bigger than any of us. And so we don't live long enough on the earth to see it all come to pass. You may not see the fruit of your faith. You may not see the fruit of your faithfulness. You may not see the seeds that you planted grow into trees and pillars in the kingdom of God. You may not see what God does through your children or your grandchildren or your great-grandchildren, but you living a life of righteousness will sow a legacy into the future that will outlive and outlast you. See, the enemy doesn't want us to focus on this. It wants to make us feel like what we're doing is a waste of time. It's not accomplishing anything. It doesn't matter if I, you know, if I keep myself pure, if I avoid sin, if I discipline myself. It doesn't matter. That's a lie. It all matters. It all has an effect on the future. It all has an effect on the generations. They didn't see the payoff with their own eyes in this life but they did eventually see it. Listen, for the Christian, the next life is the best life. I hope you're not just living for today because you're missing it. The next life is the best life. Can you imagine how Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David feel about the sacrifices that they made in their lives now, looking at, looking at it through the eyes of eternity? Wow. You say, well, how? How do they feel about that? I think Romans 8, 18 describes exactly how they feel about that. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. What's Paul saying? He's saying what we're going through right now, although it's tough, though it's hard, it might be bad. Listen, it's not to be compared with the eternal weight of glory that is on the other side of of this life because the next life is the best life where the payoff is for eternity. Someone say amen. One last point here. Their faithfulness, those who were in this hall of fame that we studied, their faithfulness has impacted all of us. The faithfulness of those who have gone before us have paved the way for us to enjoy all the benefits of the new covenant. You know, 
we have so much to be thankful for in the, the brothers and sisters that were faithful to God before us, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs, David, whose line had the Christ come through, Jesus, who has these apostles that turn the world upside down and plant churches, and all the church fathers, and all the theologians, and all the prophets, and all of these people who sowed with tears and with blood and, and with their lives. We have so much to be thankful for because now we have this this example of all of them to encourage us and to, and to teach us. We have a cloud of witnesses, Hebrews says. Hebrews 12.1, we're going to be there, God willing, next week as we're finishing up 11, but this is how it starts. It says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So this cloud of witnesses, what is he talking about? He's talking about all of those who went before us, who kept the faith, who set the stage and the table for us to enjoy all the benefits of the new covenant. Do you like grace? Thank those who went before us. Do you like restoration, forgiveness, God's word? Do you like thousands of years of scholarship, church teaching, solid theology? Do you like all of that? Well, we've got to be thankful for those who have gone before us. Think about it. Someday if the Lord should tarry and not snatch the church away like, like the stage is set and, and we go on, we're going to leave a legacy behind too. And if it's a legacy of keeping the faith, of fighting the good fight, of running our race, we are going to enjoy for eternity the benefits of being part of that great cloud of witnesses. Amen. Thank God for the patriarchs. Thank God for, for their faithfulness. Thank God that he raised up people to, to be examples to us so that we can look back through Scripture and be encouraged and be strengthened and be, uh, you know, and see that, you know, this life is not the end. It's just a transition. And so for us, we focus on the next life, and we do what God's called us to do, and we keep the faith. And if we do, we're going to enjoy the benefits of being faithful for all eternity. That empties out Hebrews 11, so let's bow our heads. Father, I just thank you tonight for that chapter that we enjoyed for months, and Lord, I pray that you would bring to remembrance all that's in there for us. Father, I pray for any of my brothers and sisters tonight that are growing weary and well-doing, that feel like, oh, I want to I just backslide. I want to throw the towel in. I, I want to walk away. Father, I, I talked to a, a fellow minister today who was at that point where I just, I just want to quit. I, I, I'm disillusioned. And Father, I pray for anyone within the sound of my voice tonight that's in that situation. Father, I pray you fan the flame of those embers of faith in their life into a roaring fire right now in Jesus' name. Father, that there would be no quit in us. Father, that if we're just going through the motions and our walk has become boring, that we would repent, that we would run back to you, Jesus, and stay close to you, that we would fill ourselves with the word daily so that the excitement of serving the king and the kingdom of God would once again come back to your people. Father, I pray all this in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. Give him praise tonight.